So today we end our 2024 week of prayer. We have devoted ourselves to prayer for our own needs, for our own fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. We've prayed for our church and other churches that are preaching the gospel. We've asked God to advance the gospel in this city, in this region, see a large harvest, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's been a rich week of prayer. Thank you for all of you who have especially devoted yourselves to prayer. One of my longings is that out of weeks like this, there would be a, an increased hunger in each of our hearts to spend time seeking the Lord in prayer and in the Word. There'd be an increased longing to seek his face and to go deep in the scriptures and to pour our souls out before him in prayer. And so I thought I would take this closing Saturday of our prayer week and open up Psalm 119 with you, which has a very powerful, the whole psalm is powerful, but a passage which especially encourages us toward prayer and toward the scriptures. So let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 119 verses 17 through 24. Here's some background on Psalm 119. It's a long psalm. There's 22 sections with eight verses in each section. And what's interesting is that there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each of those eight-verse sections highlights a different letter of the alphabet. So the first eight verses have the letter Aleph as the beginning of each line in that eight-verse section. And then the next eight-verse section has the letter Beth, second letter, beginning each line, and Gimel and Daleth and so on and so forth through the whole Hebrew alphabet. Now, it's very probable that the author did that, maybe one reason so we could have some help in memorizing this psalm. I've heard another person say, and it just resonated with me, that maybe the author wants us to understand that like this, this covers the spiritual life from A to Z, or Aleph through Tub, which is the, the Hebrew letters. There's the whole spiritual life is unpacked here in, in, in various ways. I would strongly encourage you to spend time regularly in Psalm 119, studying it, praying through it, memorizing portions of it, memorizing all of it, just sinking your roots deep. This is rich food for our souls, you'll find in Psalm 119. So let's turn to 119 verses 17 through 24. Now, a little explanation. I usually like to teach through a passage in the same order that the author wrote the verses in, in order to follow the author's flow of thought. And that works sometimes with poetry. This is poetry, Psalm 119, but it doesn't work so much with this passage. So we're hopping around, but trust me, I'm trying to still follow the author's flow of thought. We're going to cover everything that's crucial, I believe. That's why we're going in a different direction tonight. The flow of thought in this passage does not go with a straight line. It's, uh, you'll see. So let's start by asking this question, just to get a sense of what's happening in this passage. What problem did the psalmist face? What problem did he face? And he describes it in verses 21 through 23. Look at what he says. You, he's talking to God, you, God, Father, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, 
For I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. And notice verse 23 shows that there were princes, powerful, politically connected men who were plotting against him. And I think verse 21 refers to these same princes, describing them as insolent and accursed. And I think verse 22, the author is asking God to take their, these plotting princes, take their scorn and contempt away from me. In other words, protect me from these princes that are plotting my downfall. So the author of this psalm is facing a very significant problem. Powerful political leaders are planning your downfall, either your downfall politically or possibly even your downfall physically, killing you. So you know they're, they're talking together about how to bring you down. Major problem here. Imagine how that problem would weigh on you if you were the psalmist. How preoccupy you, trouble you, fill your thoughts, fill your thinking. You'd be thinking, what, what can you do? How can you defend yourself? What steps can you take? So if you faced a problem of this magnitude, how would you respond? How would you respond? Let's find out how he responded. Next question. How did he respond to this problem? He responds in three ways we see in these eight verses. First, he prays and asks God to protect him from these men. Again, verse 21, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. And I believe the flow of thought is, therefore, because you do that, take away from me their scorn and contempt for I've kept your testimonies. So I think the scorn and the contempt that he wants God to take away is the scorn and contempt of these princes. Like I said earlier, they were plotting against him. So he's asking God, protect me. Protect me from these men. Confuse their plans. Protect me from their schemes. Take these men away from me. Remove them out of my life. Now this is a simple but potentially life-changing lesson, if you haven't learned this lesson yet. I hope you will learn it tonight if you haven't before. And the lesson is this. When we face problems, pray and ask God for help. Simple lesson, life-changing lesson. Because for some of us, I'm sure, prayer is, is like where you turn when all else fails, right? You've tried this, and you've tried this, and you've tried this. I guess I better pray. Last resort is what prayer is so often. But that's not what the psalmist does here. It's not the last place he turns. It's one of the first places he turns. And, and just think about that. Doesn't that make sense? Because you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure. What that means is that the door to God's presence is wide open for you. Wide open for you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wherever you might be, the door is wide open for you. And, and God has forgiven you in Christ. He loves you. We sang about that tonight. 
He cares for you. He cares about your problem and he will help you. He promises every problem you bring to him, he will help you with. There's two main ways he does that. We need to keep these both in mind. Many times he helps us by taking the problem completely away. These plotting men are just removed out of your life, for example. So many times he helps us by completely removing the problem from us. And that fills us with joy, doesn't it? What a beautiful, faithful God. Other times, what he does is let the problem stay in his wisdom and his love for you. There are times where he lets the problem stay. We saw this with Paul's thorn in the flesh as we studied that last weekend. But in those times, he promises us, he promises that as we seek him, he will let that remaining problem bring us even more closeness with him, even more of his nearness in our hearts, even more of a sense of his love for us, even more beholding of his glory, and that will bring us even more joy. But he promises, either way he decides to go in his love and his wisdom, he will always meet us, help us, in the problems that we're facing, always. So I want to encourage you, whenever you face a problem, some of you probably do this, but it's easy to forget, isn't it? Whenever we face a problem, let one of the first steps you take, first things you do, be to bring it before the Lord. Call upon him. Whether it's for a financial decision, or maybe a relational conflict, whether it's for your, a temptation you're facing or a disappointment that you've just gone through. Maybe there's work difficulties or health struggles you're having. Whatever it might be, the list can, doesn't make a difference how long the list is. Every single one, God wants you to bring it to him, pour your soul out before him, and ask you for his help. So don't have prayer be the last step or no step. Have it be one of the first steps that you take. Have 2024 be a year in which you take every problem that you have before the Lord. That's what the psalmist does. He prays and asks God to protect him from these men. Second thing he does, he asks God to help him see and feel the truths in God's word. Very interesting. Look at verse 17. I see this in verses 17 through 19. Start with 17. He says, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Now, we might think, just first reading this, that that means deal bountifully, deal bountifully with me by protecting my physical life from these men. We could think that that's what that means. And it's possible that it means that. But I don't think, I think it means something else. I'm not alone. I think it means deal bountifully with me by giving me spiritual life through your word. Deal bountifully with me by giving me spiritual life through the scriptures. Now, there's two reasons I think that's what this is saying. One is, most of the time in Psalm 119, the word live or life 
refers not to physical life, but to our spiritual life. Spiritual life, our our sense of God's love for us, our joy in him, our, our life, our passion, our zeal for his glory. That's spiritual life. Most of the time, the word live or life in Psalm 119 refers to spiritual life, not to physical life. That's one reason I take it that way. The other reason is because verse 17 is connected so closely to verse 18, it sounds like both of them are saying the same thing in different words. Let's read them both together, see if you agree with that. Verse 17 and 18, let's read them together. And verse 18 clearly talks about spiritual life. That's where I'm going here. So verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. See, verse 18 is clearly talking about spiritual life, beholding wonderful things out of God's law. And so those are connected so closely. I think what he's saying is deal bountifully with me by opening my eyes to your word because that's what gives me life. That's what he's doing here. He's praying and asking God to help him see and feel the truths of his word. Now, look at how he repeats the same request in different words in verse 19. It says, I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Sojourner, someone who's just passing through, right? Temporary residence. This is not our home. Remember the old song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. That's what sojourner means. I'm just passing through. So don't hide your commandments from me, which is another way of saying, reveal your commandments to me. Show me, teach me your word. Help me to see and feel these wonderful truths. So there's verses 17 through 19, but now I want us to just dig a little bit deeper into verse 18. Read it again. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Why does the psalmist ask God to open his eyes? We can do that. Eyes are closed. Open them, right? We can do that. We don't need God to do that. But these aren't the eyes he's talking about. To see what eyes he's talking about, Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This is so important to see and understand. Ephesians 1, verse 17, Paul prays this for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul is asking God to pour out upon the believers in Ephesus more of the Holy Spirit's work of giving them wisdom in the scriptures to see what's there and of giving them revelation of the scriptures, a heart revelation of the scriptures where they feel the beauty, the wonder, the glory of what's there. And then look at what he says in verse 18, the beginning of verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts Be enlightened. Eyes of your hearts. So it sounds like we have two sets of eyes. Did you know that you have two sets of eyes? There's the eyes of our heads, okay, which see things, like the truths of God's word. You open it up, your eyes see. You can read the words, read the sentences. You can see what they say. The, The eyes of your head see things. The eyes of your heart feel things. 
like the truths of God's word. So you open up the word, the eyes of your head are reading the truths, understanding the sentences, and your heart is saying, yes, I love him. I trust him. He's glorious. I delight in this. Your heart is resonating with that. For example, you open up the scriptures, the eyes in our heads see that we can be forgiven for all of our sins, and the eyes of our hearts feel joy in the wonder of being guilt-free, shame gone, loved by God. Your heart's just saying yes to that. Or the eyes in our heads see the truth that Jesus Christ, fully God, was born as a baby. And the eyes of our hearts feel the, the glory of that. What a God to come to the earth and be with us like he has done. Or another example, the eyes of our heads see in the scriptures that because we're trusting Jesus, we're going to have the joy of being in his presence forever. You see that truth, and then the eyes of your hearts feel the security of that, the hope of that, the future of that. changes everything. Eyes of our heads see the truth. Eyes of our hearts feel the truth. Now, there's a problem, isn't there? Sin and weariness and distractions, preoccupations, can cloud the vision of the eyes of our heart, can dull the eyes of our hearts, can dim the abilities of the eyes of our hearts to feel things. And so we can have times where we open up the scriptures and just start reading, and we feel nothing. It's like we're reading, you know, on, on websites, you got, you know, read the terms and conditions, and you're kind of scrolling through it. You know, it's like, read it, feeling, reading, feeling nothing, right? That's what it can feel like for all of us at times. We open up the scriptures, we start to read, and it's just words on a page. And our hearts are just lifeless, or our hearts are somewhere else instead of here. We all deal with that. That's the problem we all face. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians 1 that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. He prays for believers that we would receive the even greater work of the Holy Spirit, giving us wisdom and revelation, enlightening the eyes of our hearts. That's what Paul prays in Ephesians 1. And that's what the psalmist prays in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes. My eyes are dulled. My eyes are dimmed. My eyes are clouded over by distractions, by preoccupations, by whatever it might be. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Now back to verse 18. Let's read that again. That's where he says it. Open my eyes. Get those words. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things out of your law. And just a, a comment here, the word law here is the word Torah, which doesn't just mean like God's commandments. It does include God's commandments, and God's commandments are wondrous. But it includes all of God's instruction. Torah means instruction. So he's praying, Father, help me not just see the truths of your word. Help me to feel their wonder their glory, 
their reality, their beauty, their significance. Help me to feel the truths of your word. So I would encourage you, friends, pray this prayer, Psalm 119, 18, when you're going to open up the scriptures and read. Ask God to do this. In fact, John Piper, he encourages us to pray that every, every time we're going to read the scriptures, every time. I think that's wise counsel. Father, open my eyes now. I want to read. I don't just want to see the truth. I want to feel the wonder, the glory, the grandeur of who you are in the scriptures. So get the picture. The author of this psalm, the psalmist, has powerful princes plotting his downfall. And what does he do? He prays and asks God to protect him from these men. And he asks God to help him see and feel the truths of God's word. That's not all that he does, though. Third, he meditates on God's word. He meditates on God's word. Now, you can see that in verse 23. Look at what he says there. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Now, what does meditate mean? Meditation in the Bible is very different than meditation in Eastern religions. Eastern religions encourage us to meditate by emptying our minds. So you're just conscious of your consciousness. Okay? It's not what the Bible means by meditation. When the Bible talks about meditation, God wants us to not empty our minds, but fill our minds with the truth of God's word. That's biblical meditation. Think deeply about the truths of scripture. Think deeply about the words that the author uses, the sentences that the author writes, the flow of thought that the author is developing. Think Ponder deeply into the truth of God's word. That's meditating. When we pray and ask God to open the eyes of our hearts and then meditate deeply on the truths of Scripture, God will open our eyes. We will see the truths with the eyes in our head. We will feel the truths with the eyes in our hearts. And we will start to be transformed. Here's an example. George Whitfield, another one of my heroes. George Whitfield, along with John Wesley, was powerfully used by God in England in the 1700s. Uh, God used many others as well, but thousands of people came to faith in Christ in 1700s in, in England. And George Whitfield was deeply impacted by a, a regular rhythm in his life of meditation on the scriptures. Look at how he describes what he did. He wrote this in his journal. He said, I began to read the Holy Scripture upon my knees, laying aside all other books and praying over, if possible, every line and word. This proved meat indeed and drink indeed to my soul. That means it's like... Food for his soul, right? Drinking, meat eating for his soul. This proved meat indeed and drink indeed to his soul, to my soul. I daily received 
fresh life, light, and power from above. Wouldn't you love to receive daily fresh light, power, and life from above? Anybody here not want that? Sign me up for that. I want that. Yes, so pray. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law and then open up the scriptures and meditate. Think deeply. Pray over every, like he said, line and every word. That's what George Woodfield did. That's what it means to meditate on God's word. And, and that's how God gives us life, spiritual life, as we do that. Okay, so here's what we've seen. The psalmist is facing these men who are plotting his downfall. And we've seen him, that he's doing three things. He's praying and asking God, protect me from these men. He's asking God, help me to see and feel the truth of your word. And then he's meditating on God's word. As I thought about the problem he faced and these three steps, I had a question. You may have the same question. It's clear that God's word is really important to him. Okay, so why? I mean, why is God's word that important? Remember, wicked princes are planning his downfall. So it makes sense why he'd pray, protect me from them. We all, that makes sense, right? But why with the princes plotting, does he ask God to help him to see and feel the truth of God's word? And then why then does he, while they're plotting against him, meditate on God's word? Do you feel that question? It's like, wow, I understand why you'd pray for the God to protect you, but I mean, is that all you're going to do? I mean, I, I'm not saying that's all he did, but see, these are three crucial things that he wants to highlight that he did. Yes, he prayed that God would take care of the problem, and he prays that God would open his eyes to behold wonderful things from his law, and then he starts to meditate on God's word. God's word is very important to him. In fact, he says that himself right there in verse 20. Amazing scripture. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, that might sound a little strange. Somebody longing for rules? <laughs> Who wants more rules? Okay, well, again, that word rules, just like the word law earlier, it does refer to God's commands, and God's commands are beautiful and helpful. But it's all of the scriptures. It's God's promises. It's history of God's faithfulness, descriptions of his mercy. That's what's going on here. Not just the commands. He longs. His soul is consumed with longing for God's rules at all times. So even when powerful princes are plotting his downfall, he's consumed with longing for God's word. You think that's where your heart would be? Do I think that's where my heart would be? It's a good question to raise, isn't it? I think this psalmist knows some things that we need to understand better. So I asked the question, why? Why is God's word that important to him? And I found four reasons in these verses. I hope that you'll find them helpful. And I hope that as we ponder these four reasons, we will experience more of what it would be like to be consumed with longing for God's word. Remember, he says things like, your word is more precious to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Consumed with longing for God's word. Friends, he knows some things about God's word. 
that we need to be more clearly understanding and reminded of. First reason, it's because God's word gives him life. That's in verse 17. Remember, this is about spiritual life. I argued for that earlier. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. He's talking about spiritual life. Pour out through the scriptures the joy of the Holy Spirit. Pour out a greater sense of your presence. Pour your love into my heart more so I'm not just knowing that you love me, but I'm having times where I feel your very love for me. Life. That's where life is found. See, friends, that's what life is all about. It's what it's all about. You're looking for life. Some of you are just saying, I want to get a life. I'm looking for life. I want life. It's found in knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. The life you're looking for is found here. And the main way we meet God through Jesus is through the truths of God's word. This is where we will behold his glory, see, feel his love. It's not the only way, but it's the main way. It's like a, it's like a pipeline from heaven is the scriptures. Scriptures are coming down from heaven, a pipeline. Open up the scriptures. Let, let, let that life flow into our hearts. Life is found in knowing God through Jesus. And that comes to us, especially through God's word. That's where life is found. Second reason. It's because God's word points us to heaven. Points us to heaven. Yeah, I put reminds him. I I changed my mind. Not Tracy's fault, my fault. Points us to heaven. I thought this was much more the, the point of verse 19. Look at this verse again. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Again, sojourner, someone who's here temporarily just passing through. We are all here temporarily. This is a temporary stopping place for us here on earth. You understand that? Heaven awaits forever. This is just temporary. And it struck me that Jesus talked about two roads. There's the wide road that many are on, tragically, that's leading to destruction. And there's the narrow road that few are on, but it leads to life forever in the presence of God, praising him, his son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, the narrow road that leads to life. And the scriptures point us to the right road. Remind us when we're drifting off to the wide road, open up, ooh, get back onto the narrow road. The scriptures point us to the narrow road. The scriptures strengthen us so we can stay on the narrow road. Like we sang tonight, he will hold us fast. That assurance, that confidence, promises of of what God will do, how he'll help us, he'll strengthen us. Every temptation will provide a way of escape. The scriptures point us to that road, point us in that direction, strengthen us to stay on that road, to keep walking on that road. We are on a destiny here to heaven, and the scriptures will remind us of that and keep us on that road all the way to glory. The scriptures are one of the ways that he keeps us all the way to the end consumed with longing for this book that God has given to us that will keep us on the narrow road all the way to heaven. Second reason. Third reason. Because God's word fills him with delight. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my 
delight. Why? Because he's had times where he's opened up the scriptures. He's prayed, open my eyes now to behold wonderful things. And God has met him. God has enlightened the eyes of his heart. The Holy Spirit's work of giving him wisdom was poured out. The Holy Spirit's work of giving him heart revelation was poured out. He met God in the pages of scripture. And see, God is our greatest delight. We all want more delight in our lives, don't we? Things we can delight in and celebrate. God is the greatest delight and the greatest celebration we'll ever know. And we can know him through Jesus and the scriptures bring that experience even more powerfully into our lives. That's why the author was consumed with longing for God's word. Fourth one, because God's word gives him wise counsel. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. How do you decide what to do, who to be, how to live? The whole world tells us, follow your passions, follow your dreams, which sounds attractive, but passions and dreams can be wrong. They can be wrong. They often are wrong. I know from experience, they can be very wrong. Read history. People's passions and dreams can be completely wrong. So how do we know what to do? God has given us a book. The one who created you, the one who loves you, has given you a book. And he will tell you what this is all about, what this is all for. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He'll meet you. He'll help you. God's word gives him, the psalmist, wise counsel. The scriptures are the only perfect, flawless counselor we have. We have other counselors, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We're grateful for them, and they open up the scriptures and help us with that. But understand, the Bible is the only perfect counselor, and we have a perfect counselor given to us by God, the scriptures. They are my counselors. So those are the four reasons why his soul was consumed with longing for God's word, so that when he has these Princes plotting against him. Not only does he pray that God will protect him from them, which is a good thing to do, he also prays, open my eyes, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. And then he starts meditating on God's word. Why? Because he wants life. This is where life is found. It's because he wants to be pointed. He's just a soldier. He wants to be pointed towards heaven, what really matters. It's because he wants delight and because he needs counsel. So, that's why God's word was important to him, and that's why God's word should be so important to us. Just let these four reasons sink in, and, and think about it this way. Which one of these do you need to be reminded of the most right now? Um, or which one is God already stirring in your heart right now? Like, think about this one. Do you want to be, keep pondering? It's up to you which way you take it. Four reasons. Church. God's word will give you the life you're looking for. God's word gives us life. God's word points us to heaven. There it is. Point us there, strengthen us as we're on that road. Third, 
God's word will fill us with delight, and God's word will give us wise, perfect counsel. That's why God's word was so important to him. And I pray that in 2024, that's why God's word will be so important to each of us. Let's stand and pray. I praise you, Father, that you aren't standoffish, you aren't distant, you aren't silent, you aren't leaving us to try to figure things out, but you've given us a book. Perfect truth from our Creator about who we are, what's gone wrong, what can be done. The answer is Christ. And how do we come to Christ and receive all that you have for us? You've given us a book. Father, I pray that in 2024, you would strengthen us even more in times of seeking your face, in prayer, and in meditation on your word. And as we do that, you would open our eyes. You'd pour out the work of your spirit upon us and meet us, giving us life pointing us to heaven, giving us counsel, delighting our souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.